Welcome to another edition of the Wheelhouse Podcast. Andrew, I got you back here with me. We just got through a wild, wild weekend of wildcard games. How are you doing? Just sort of picking up my remains. Or what's left of them. Well, we'll get to that, as they say in the business. We'll get to that. (laughs) Why don't we talk about some positives first? uh, Or some other teams first before we get to your team. Uh, So... There was quite a few up, upsets this weekend, Andrew. Uh, it was, it was a, uh, it was quite a showing. We we had almost a couple. I mean, it was almost four upsets. Uh, I feel like that happened. Uh, so why don't we start with the teams that survived some, uh, you know, some tough opponents? Any concerns about the Bills and the Bengals that barely overcame their games? Yeah, kind of a a quick takeaway from both of these games. Obviously, ni- neither team really dominating at home. I didn't think the Bengals would. I actually, later in the week, I chose the Ravens to cover because I thought their defensive game plan was going to be really good, and it was. Yeah. I think the biggest concern for the Bengals has been their litany of injuries, especially along their offensive line. Uh, Jonah Williams going out with a dislocated kneecap. There's a lot of uncertainty if he's going to play. They got banged up in a couple other areas. It's really tough to see um, this team kind of get hurt at the wrong time. But, you know, that's if there's any team that I think can kind of pull themselves together and survive it, it would be this team in terms of the fact that they have a guy like Joe Burrow, who's just so confident, has so much moxie that he can help them get through anything for the bills. I I mean, to be honest, it's, it's not super surprising considering what they've been doing all year. Like they either look amazing or they kind of let teams hang around for a while. They really shouldn't. Now this Dolphins team should have absolutely gotten blown out of the building because they have a third string quarterback under center like this is, but somehow in all of their games, Miami kept it close and won one of those games down in Miami earlier in, in the year. And they just seem to find a way to keep around. But I also think it's just a byproduct of the bills shooting themselves in the foot, creating turnovers at the wrong time. And I don't know. They're just, they're so sometimes they're all almost all or nothing, which is kind of annoying, but that's sort of the, not Jekyll and Hyde nature, but just sort of like just the differences that can happen in their games from week to week. So it's, it's, I guess if you had to make me ask me, who am I more concerned with? I suppose it would be the bills just based on what they've done. But again, it's not surprising with, whereas the Bengals, the, uh, the injuries are just bad timing. Yeah. It's funny about that Bengals game. So when we recorded last week, the line was six and a half and it rose up two points over the week. So if you grabbed it at eight and a half, you know, totally understand the Ravens bet there. Uh, I think if you got in early on that six and a half, you know, you, your Bengals pick there would have would have covered. But yeah, it, it was much closer than it should have been in both cases. And I think the Bills are really, I mean, actually both teams are really lucky to come away with wins. I think if not for the Bills defense, they probably don't, or excuse me, the Bengals defense, I don't think they win that ball game. But no. yeah, yeah, I share the same concerns with you. Uh, the 49ers, on the other hand, they're the only team that really took care of business this past weekend. Um, and they, they looked ridiculous, didn't they? Uh, I mean, the Purdy Sons continues, man. Like, this is absolutely insane. He's, like, as a rookie, it's one thing for a rookie to, to do it, but I think it's just in the fact that he's done in the second half of the season, he's managed to catch fire so rapidly. I've been able to just assimilate this offense. And look... I started having a kind of a joking hot take debate, which you could legitimately pose on a, on a show. Is Brock Purdy the best QB that the 49ers have had in the last 10 years? 
you could try to start making that argument. Now I know all the Jimmy G and all the cap people and all the Alex Smith stands would be very upset at that notion. But like, look, I'm sorry. The guy is playing out of his mind. Like he's absolutely playing out of his mind. He is exceeding what his talent level evaluation had him as coming into the NFL. And I think for him, it's just been amazing to see his maturation and trying to play, you know, point guard and just basically run the offense. Like what's wrong with completions short to your receivers, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle. This is a death lineup. Like these guys, this is an insane lineup to deal with on a week to week basis with how Kyle Shanahan assimilates and puts these pieces around the board. And Purdy's the guy that is willing to distribute and not ask any questions or overextend himself. Now, he did have a couple of turnover-worthy plays. He's had some every week, I believe. He's had some where he, it's kind of gotten away from him and he could have possibly, you know, maybe had a pick or here here and there. But, like, he just never seems to lose his poise. That's kind of my biggest thing is he just doesn't seem flustered. And that, again, is so hard to assimilate, especially in a playoff game. Like, you just don't know. And yeah. his response in the second half was really, really good, even if it was against, you know, kind of porous Seahawks defense. Yeah. No, look, they, they look really dominant. Um, but when we get to their matchup, I'm gonna, I know I picked the 49ers to go all the way to the Super Bowl, but, uh, I, I think I have, I think I have a, a hot take back at you actually to yours. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna let that marinate. That's what we call a tease. And, uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. Andrew, what happened to the chargers? They, they are who we thought they were. <laughs> and you let him off the hook. <laughs> and we let him off the hook. Look, yeah. um, a lot of things, a lot of things transpired here. And we can get into that more later on with the yeah. press conference that was distributed by not let go of his job head coach, Brandon Staley, which, I mean, look, every, everyone in every corner was trying to get him out of the out of the building today and this week. But that's not going to happen. This guy's not going to lose his job. Joe Lombardi did not survive as predicted, uh, most people didn't even want him getting on the plane after that game. And so he didn't get retained. Look, I, I'm not, it's sad that it's not that surprising to me, really. That's kind of the really horrific part of this. And it, I can go more into that detail as far as like organization and all that later on. But the fact that the second, the se very second, they almost had that fumble by Michael Bandy, the guy off the practice squad, when they tried to do that jet sweep on the third and one in their own territory instead of no third and inches, excuse me, they're third and inches. And they had a six foot six quarterback in Justin Herbert, who has been almost automatic on sneaks. I think he's like 26 for 28 or 27 for 28 all time. Not let him try to sneak it over the line and get a first down. No, let's run a jet sweep with the guy who's not run the play all year long because Deandre Carter's already hurt. And like, the moment that happened, I just thought, oh, this could go very wrong. And it's 27 nothing. As a fan, you should not feel that way. Like, that's yeah. ridiculous so that I, you should feel. I got that, an anecdote here for you. So yeah. it, it was 27 to zero. I'm with my fiance, and I go, honey, there's no point in me watching this game anymore. What do you want to watch? So we watch something else. I I start checking it on my phone. I see it's 27 to seven halftime. I'm like, no worries. And then all of a sudden, it's, I want to say, 27-13, I think mm -hmm. it was. So I check in. She's doing something else. And Dicker misses, I think, no, I forget at what point. 
but it's 27-13 or it's 27-20, and Dicker misses that second. No, no, it's 27-20, and Dicker makes that first field goal, right? And then the second one comes, and he misses. And I just said, uh-oh, and she goes, we're watching the rest of this game, aren't we? I'm like, yes, we are, because the Chargers about to fuck this up. <laughs> and they proceeded to fuck this up. My, I'm going to let you have the basketball here, Andrew, and I'm going to be your point guard and let you be Shaq here when we get to the Staley press conference. But you knew when Dicker missed it, I just went, oh, no, they're not going to score any more points in this quarter or in this half, are they? It, it just, you could feel it coming. You, and, and, my fiance, who's, you know, does not like football is, you know, does not care for it. Even she was like new enough to know like, oh, boy, this is not going to go well. Uh, it was tough. Yeah. It was tough to watch. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. No, I felt <laughs> I felt so bad for Dicker because it was 30 to 20 at that point. It's not his fault. I mean, no, no it's not, couldn't put I, up any more points. And, and there were people who were like clamoring about him afterwards. I'm like, this is not his, his fault. In fact, I no. wanted them to go for it there. And here's why. Because it was fourth and two, you're in their territory, it's eight and a half minutes left. So let's start thinking about this logistically. There's two things you want to do. One, you want to make this a sizable margin for the other team. Two, you want to drain the clock. Right. You're up by 10. Is 13 and 10 really that much of a difference at that point, especially with how the Jaguars were moving the ball? I'd say no. And for me, I would have preferred that they try to go for it at that end. Because if you get it, then you start running the clock. If you score a touchdown, it's a three-score game. It's pretty much out of hand. Despite all the wacky stuff that's been going up to that point, you've put the nail on the coffin. You've ended it. You said, all right, that's done. and That's, you know, the deed is done. And instead, they go for the field goal, and he misses it. And it just almost seemed like, again, poetic in considering what happened that entire half. Like, that to me really was emblematic. And it wasn't because of him. It wasn't because of Dicker. He's He's been really good for them. He's been a revelation for them kicking Yeah, they got, lucky. That, they got lucky. They got lucky. They walked. Yeah, in they there. got lucky. He did. They they he, they walked into that, and yet it's like the antithesis of Brandon Steely's aggressiveness was like summarized in that exact play, and it just baffled me as to how we got to that point, considering where we were the year before. And I have a lot of thoughts on that coming up, but like, there's it just it was so disjointed, and it just it, it very emblematic of my time as a Charger fan, yeah. and honestly makes me even question it even more than ever <laughs> on the flip side, Trevor Lawrence and uh, Doug Peterson. Wow. So masterful, masterful job by Peterson. Let, let's set the context here. Lawrence has thrown four picks. and I'm like, Oh no, he's not going to survive first take tomorrow. And, th uh, and look, look, Trevor Lawrence. This is crazy to say the Jacksonville Jaguars have been losers my entire life with the exception of one run they had with Blake Bortles. And it was, that was like, that was kind of a joke, right? The defense basically got him to an AFC championship. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence is literally changing a losing culture. And, and let's give Doug Peterson credit too. They're changing a losing culture to a winning one. They won a playoff game in year one together. And he overcame four picks. Like, this is why this guy went number one. Like, you know, like 99% of quarterbacks would have just thrown in the towel or like they would have, you know, turned into Brett Maher, who we're going to talk about in a minute, and gotten in their own head. You know, I, man, this guy's a stud. I mean, this guy is changing, a, you know, he could eventually turn that franchise into, you know, a multi-billion dollar 
franchise. I know they're probably worth multi-billion dollars now, but like, you know, legitimately, they're going to be worth that because of what this guy is doing. And he's in year two after overcoming Urban Meyer. I, I think we've underrated how good he, he's been. This is what he should have been last year, if not for fucking Urban Meyer. It, it was an incredible comeback and just like this guy's got the mental fortitude of like, you know, steel. I mean, it, it's like deja vu. This is exactly like when Andrew Luck and the Colts had that comeback against yeah. the Chiefs. You remember that? Yeah, it's like almost a picture, like the same exact picture, basically. Like if you told me both of them, I'd say these are the same. This guy's yeah, like I mean, Andrew it was, Luck. He, he's yeah, he's he, similar. He really is. Yeah, and hopefully he stands around a little longer than Luck oh, did. God, but let's I think hope he's. So. But he's got the. I mean, I think giving them Peterson. I think Peterson coming in. At least they realize they're horrendous error they made their first year and got over that but yeah. they've they've i mean peterson is a great coach for him i mean he they stayed the course they ran the ball they did not panic at all right they 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 kept they kept with it and i i have to credit them because a lot of teams would flip out in that in that instance and say oh my god now what and he would freak out i wonder yeah. if if it's peterson's experience to come through but like the Chargers never really had control of the game. If you really think about it, I know they got up really fast and all that, but all those points they got were really on those short fields on turnovers, right? It yeah. wasn't like Herbert like drove him down 90 yards and then delivered a touchdown. That really never happened. No. And, it, and, and so they, it, it kind of reminds me, you will call this that Texans game in the divisional versus the chiefs mm, where yeah. Deshaun Watson got up on them like 21 zip in like two minutes. It was one of the wildest things. And then it flipped the whole other way where like the chiefs ended up beating them by like 10 plus points or whatever it was. Yeah. You remember they, were that? Up, they were up 24, nothing. And then yeah. the second quarter, the Chiefs scored 28 points and they were up at halftime. Like, and then right. they just cruised the rest of the way and they, it was astounding because that was, that was kind of the unveiling of Mahomes. but yeah, it's, there, there is a difference between having a lead and having control. There is a very distinctive, especially in this day and age with how people throw the football. Like there's, I mean, no lead can be safe, but that's only if you allow it to happen, if you're not really controlling the, the pace of the game. And that's, and you're right. The Chargers were not nominating them on offense. They, Herbert didn't miss a couple of throws to be honest. He really did. And he, he, he missed it. He, he had a fine game. I think people are making a little bit, it's I mean, not look, his uh, fault here. No, okay. No, no it's it, well. I think I think it's the whole operation. Everything, right. everything is at fault. I that's agree. the thing about yeah. the. I think that's what everyone can try and point their fingers at one thing. It's, it's not, everything. Yeah. yeah, it's not everything. one guy. Yeah, it's yeah. everybody. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's my. That's really what's the toughest part about it. It's like, man, everybody failed here. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's flip though to some more positives where uh, we felt good here. You know. You, you and everybody else in America had the Giants, and I thought, ah, it's just too many people on this. I can't go with it. <laughs> you know, I got Jedi mind tricked here. There's no doubt about it, but I'm pretty sure, you know, it's Yoda, Mace Windu, and Brian Dayball in the Jedi Council at this point. I mean, this guy had a great game plan. He's got maybe one of the best staffs year one. Uh, our guy Martindale just, you know, he ate up Kirk Cousins. We're going to give more credit in the awards to these guys. Kafka called a great game i mean all around i mean they just i mean it, it's like they i don't know it's hard to say andrew it's like it feels like th that they figured out how to beat the vikings with a bunch of rubber bands and paper clips but then i'm also starting to think like boy those are some good rubber bands too you know it, it's it's kind of <laughs> tough i i do want to say most of the win is the coaching but daniel Di or danny dimes daniel jones whatever you want to call him 
you know, he threw for over 300 yards. He rushed for almost 100 yards. He th- literally threw, like, several dimes. Barkley was, you know, shot out of a cannon all day. Uh, the defense, I think, is actually the, the real lethal part of the team. Uh, they just, you know, they hammered Minnesota, and they, they beat them pretty soundly. Yeah. No, they took advantage of some of those injuries along the offensive line for the Vikings. But, look, that the, the defense did what it needed to do. Uh, I was enamored by the Giants' offensive game plan. I mean, they did everything. They ran, you know, counters. They ran uh, QB draws and let Daniel basically cook, I guess, um, and let him run around, do his thing. Saquon only touched the the ball. Saquon Barkley only touched the ball 12 times. But every time he did, it was impactful, and it was it was, it was was momentous. The receivers, for the most part, did their job, save for Darius Slayton, who, like, should have ended the game right then and there and didn't because of the drop. And I thought, oh, no, here comes the leprechaun again right. for the Vikings. <laughs> really, you know, you had this in, impending doom feel. But look, credit to the Giants. They did everything they needed to to win that game. It was... Like, this is why I almost wanted to put Dable on, you know, if if we've been giving out the bold strategy cotton award all year, I would give him and this team the award for the entire year if I could, because every time, every week they have a great game plan, despite the pieces that they have. I mean, are you kidding me? Like Isaiah Hodgkins was your leading receiver. Who the hell is that? And he got nine targets, had eight catches on nine targets for 105 yards and a touchdown. And you're just like okay, I guess this is, the, this is the thing now. So, like, they made every piece work in that offense, and I was just so immensely impressed by what they were able to do on Sunday. It was it was such a great job. I know they were expected to win, but the fact that they actually did it and executed it the way they did really impressed me. Yeah, and uh, the Minnesota Vikings are the picture on the uh, Fugazi uh, Wikipedia page. So uh, all time. We, yeah, all there's time. not really much to say. I mean, they're the most Fugazi, Fugazi team we've seen in the playoffs in some time. Oh, yeah. Um, lastly, I honestly did not think we were going to have much to talk about in this game because I thought the Cowboys would be the Cowboys, and it went the total other way. Uh, Dak Prescott might have played his best game as a professional. I mean, he just – I mean, he fucking read the Buccaneers, like, inside and out. I mean, the guy had the fucking shouting gun from Naruto, and he could just see everything. There's that amazing fourth and – I think it was a fourth and four – uh, inside their own like 10 or 20 and they didn't want to let Maher kick it. Well, we'll get to Maher in a minute here, but, um, you know, the, it looked like, Oh no, the Cowboys are going to fuck this up. And you know, he hit CD lamb for a touchdown. I mean, it was, I mean, Dak just won them the game. He just straight up won them the game and the defense had everything under control and there was not much Tom Brady could do. Uh, you know, I've heard a lot of, I don't know what you think about this. I've heard a lot of stuff about how Tom is, washed i don't think thomas washed at all his team is just not very good and there was not much he could do i mean guys were just covered up uh guys were not open he was getting a lot of pressure and i mean it it was it was a mess out there i I will say if he doesn't throw and this is the one bad play he for sure had if he doesn't throw that end zone td i definitely feel like this is a more competitive game because right after that they just stopped moving the ball but up until then they were they were moving the ball okay yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. The last two times he's played in Tampa, he's looked amazing. Like he had the game opener last year where he played really well where they could not run the ball. And he was great in that game. In this game, he was amazing too. So whatever it is, if he, I mean, if he was Tampa-based quarterback, man, watch out. But um, yeah, I mean, it's great to see this version of Dak. We questioned him leading up into that podcast last week. I mean, he was turning the ball over like... He was. You know, he was, he was baking those fresh turnovers every week. But he was really sound 
really good. That's the kind of game you can get out of deck when he plays to that level and when he plays to the level of the people around him. He can assimilate and really work with the offense. And maybe they also weren't trying to, you know, be too experimental or as some people we we follow on other podcasts who say that Kellen Moore, office coordinator, is playing Madden in his basement. I don't think they were doing that on on Sunday. And that's and that's good because they they have the talent. They have the talent to do this. They just needed to not get in their own way. And they definitely did not get in their own way. Uh, on Monday, except for one person, which we'll get into, but right, um, right. they really were. It was a sound effort overall, and it was just the game was over. I mean, the Bucks were listless; like they that was completely over from the get go. Yeah, and I, but I felt like they were listless because the Cowboys came in with a complete comprehensive plan all yeah. the way around, and I I, I do feel like, I, and you're probably gonna hate me saying this, but I I think we got to give a little credit to the head coach of the of the of the Cowboys. I think McCarthy's no, done a yeah. good job throughout the year, especially after Thanksgiving. They've, they've really figured their shit out. And, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, he's kind of gotten, he's gotten the coordinator calmed down a little bit. You know, this isn't Madden. Like you said, they stuck with it after the first two drives when, when Dak was looking like shit. And I'm like, Oh boy, here we go. Uh, you know, he's, he's pretty patient. I don't know. I, I just, you know, he's he's a calm guy, it seems, and I don't know. There's a reason yeah. why I think they're here. He, he is a he is a good coach. No, I, I think so, and I I don't. I mean, like we we make fun of him all the time, but like he, his record speaks for itself. Like he's been really really good with this with this Cowboys squad. I mean, he's he he's coming. He's done nothing but win games since yeah. he came to the Dallas. Right. I mean, yeah. he's, he's had back to back 12 win seasons, 24 and 10 in two seasons. And they've won the division title in that time. I mean, it's, it's cause it's the Cowboys. It's the Cowboys job. It's always under scrutiny. Whatever, what you do is not enough. Right. You know, if, unless you win the Super Bowl, it's not enough, which at this point, I think you're, I personally think everyone's expectations need to change because this team has not been to an NFC championship game since 1996. So let's, let's, maybe we should start readjusting our expectations, but if he were to somehow get this team there, that would be immensely impressive. I don't care how much talent's on it. If he's able to manage all this, all the personalities and the media and all that stuff, yeah, it's impressive. And he has experience. Look, I mean, McCarthy's been doing this for a long, long time. He has head coach pedigree. I know his time in Green Bay did not end well, obviously. That's very well documented. But he's also gotten over some of that stuff he was doing his first year in Dallas. Um, I should say, by the way, correction, he – I wanted to say his overall record obviously is um, 30 and 20 because of the first season. But in the last two years, he was 24 and 10. But he, but like his first year, he was trying to, you know, like, oh, I learned all these things. I learned about analytics. I'm going to try going for it on fourth down. I'm going to do fake punts. That stuff didn't work. Like it didn't cut it. And then he's, I think once he started to go back to himself and kind of rely on his coaching staff more the last two seasons, that's bared more results. So yeah, he, he can do it. I, I, I just, you know, it's, he's just, easy to make fun of he is but i think he's a good manager of his of his players mm -hmm. and like we saw that i think with cooper rush you know they had a lot of excuses at the beginning of the season uh their best you know their left tackle got hurt uh Dak got hurt and you know th those cooper rush games and you know that's 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 the meat and potatoes of i think why he he's been good so we have to give credit there um Let's get into the Staley conference, Andrew, because this was not on the rundown when we started this morning, but then we got update that uh, the Chargers were going to give a 
a press conference with Brandon Staley. He addressed the media for 40 minutes. Our guy Popper was in there, asked the first heater of a question. He asked a couple, actually. I watched the whole thing after work. Um, so why don't you break down really the highlights here of what what was said and what your thoughts are? Yeah, there were a lot of things. So I I did something unorthodox. I recorded my thoughts when I was driving today because I just had a lot to say about this press conference oh, excellent. after the okay. fact. Yeah, I had quite a few things to say. But yeah, he got some very good questions, not just from Popper, but from several other p- parts of the media. Um, I, my name, the names escape me at the moment, but there were some good questions thrown his way in that room. And there were a lot of people, by the way, it sounded like there were a lot of people fighting to like get a question to him <laughs> because the boy, there, there's a lot to talk about here. Oh yeah. Um, so someone asked him straight up if he, first, first of all, one of the things that they asked him is if he's going to call the defense next year. And he gave a very short answer, said yes. Um, look, in my opinion, here's the thing about him. The results bear themselves out. The defense has not been that good the last two years. It got better at the end of this year. And obviously it flushed the hell out of Trevor Lawrence, but then it didn't turn around in the second half and it didn't adjust. I think he's a very good schematics guy. Like he knows how to craft a defensive game plan, but I really believe he needs to bring in a veteran defensive coordinator, like a Vic Fangio or somebody and just hand the duties off to them and just worry about managing all the other parts. Because I think his problem, one of his big problems is he's multitasking and he's trying to manage the game and call defense at the same time. Uh, Obviously his game decisions have been very questionable at the very least and horrendous at best in the last couple of weeks. And I think that's something he needs to work on personally. He needs to like go to a coaching clinic or call Bill Parcells because he needs help in that area. So I'd rather yeah, he I not agree. call defense. I really do. Um, moving on. So as I alluded to earlier, Joe Lombardi's gone. Shane Day, the QB coach, is also gone. I was a little surprised by that. I got. I thought – I was kind of expecting him to stay or get promoted, but instead he he was fired. So something obviously was n- not aligning there, um, which I'll talk about alignment in a minute. But the the whole premise that Staley has, he wants to run the ball with a Shanahan-style running game. Uh, this run game was not good this year. Even with, you know, you could say what you want about some of the offensive line injuries. They could not run the ball because as much as I love Austin Eckler, he's great. He's a fantastic weapon. It's like if you were in New Orleans and you asked Alvin Kamara, hey, we want you to run straight ahead like 20 times a game. Is that the most efficient way to use Alvin Kamara? No. And so I think they need a power back. They need a guy to come in there and run the ball more effectively and just pound the rock. Like they need to have that presence on their running game. But I I think that's a personnel thing, which, by the way, he did talk about personnel and maybe they're not being chemistry in a running game in personnel. Um does that fall on the GM? Because it sure sounds like that's something that would fall on the GM, who, by the way, Tom Telesco is going to have his press conference tomorrow. He's been here for 10 years. He's under 500. That's a long leash to give to a GM that's under 500. And look, I've liked some of his picks. He's had some great first-round picks. He's stocked some of the cupboards with good talent at times. The depth has not always been there. And look, he's been in the process of hiring three head coaches who have all, two of them, flamed out. And another one now is in the the throes of another, you know, controversial and potentially misaligned tenure. And that's really tough to sell as a, as a GM. He's gotten a long leash with this team. I, I, I'm not, that's, that's something that I have to question openly and we'll see where that goes in the, going to the future. But I have a feeling those two are still tied together. But if, I mean, like, if Staley doesn't work out, Telesco has to go. Like, so, that's, 
Yeah. Before yeah. you go, in, I know there's a lot to still yeah, unpack. I know. I, I, there's a lot I to unpack, run, but I, I got to ask you this. this. I got to <laughs> ask you about this. And we, we will make time to go over as much as we can, but I got to ask this. The running game they want to do, that that's great. They don't have the personnel for that. I agree. Okay? They're missing like a Brandon Jacobs or like, you know, a, a high ver- high level version of this, a Marshawn Lynch. They, they need a bruiser guy. Not yeah. necessarily a guy to catch the ball, but like a young Leonard Fournette or something like that, that, yeah. you know, when, because what they really needed was they got up 27-0, hand the ball off 30 times because your opponent at that point is not the Jaguars. It's just the clock. Yeah. And it's like part of it is I don't think Staley understands that very well or he's not managing that well. But I will say he does not have the players to do what he needed to do on Saturday. He does not have that. So I agree. It's on Stanley and it's on Telesco. Now, I want to go back to to the quarterback coach that was fired. So that that was a a Shanahan coach. Why is he getting fired? But he, he wants a Shanahan type offensive coordinator. What's going on there? Because that does not make sense. I was trying to piece that together and not, not much of that information. I felt like I collected in the press conference, but I, I, that, 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 that's the thing. I'm like, wasn't that part of the alignment strategy here? Like if you're picking someone from the Shanahan staff, but um, look, as we might get into later as well, I'm not sure if everyone from the Shanahan staff seems to know how to craft a run game um, because it seems like some of these other coaches go other places and it doesn't work. I mean, what, Mike LaFleurk, not these other guys. Well, uh, yeah, because like Mike LaFleur got fired from the Jets. Oh, see, he was from the Shanahan staff. Mike McDaniels, like he had a good year with Miami, but they couldn't run the ball at all. And they needed to run the ball a lot of the times. Like Shanahan's clearly the architect, but none of these principles seem to be leaking out to any of his disciples. So that maybe that explains it, but it was an odd firing. That was not one yeah. that I was expecting. I, and not I, the one that and yeah. people weren't asking for it either. I, I would I would be a little more patient with the McDaniels one just because I don't think his line was very good. Sure. Their best running back was Raheem Mostert, who I you know, he had a moment a couple years ago, but he's he's not what he was. You know, I think there's still some work to be done there. Their passing game was, I think, pretty awesome at times, right? Like really lethal. Yeah. But they're a work in progress. They made the playoffs. I, I'm gonna like I'm gonna give him another year here. This year was a success for them. Despite injuries, yeah. you know, the LaFleurs, I've never, you know, you know where I stand. I've never believed in that as coaching. I, I think that's a complete myth. You know, Matt, Mike LaFleur or Matt LaFleur, whoever the fuck is in Green Bay. He was fucking terrible when he was in Tennessee. Okay. They got better after his ass left with Arthur Smith. So I've never understood this LaFleur thing. I, I think that's all bullshit. But yeah, it, it, it that was one of the most confusing parts of that press conference. I was like, what the fuck? And then no one really got after him on it but yeah that that's press conferences for you uh, i kind of want to go to some of the doubling down that he did let's let's start with mike williams tell me about that so he made the allegory that this was similar to a decision that tom coughlin did back in 07 when he played all of his starters for the giants people famously remember against the undefeated patriots going into the playoffs and a lot of people pointed to that decision as saying well they were able to have their players start, get an idea or feel for the team, play with momentum, and then they went on their Super Bowl run and beat those same Patriots a month later. Um, I call that false equivalency because, A, you weren't playing the Patriots. You are playing the Broncos, who were completely we're dead in the nowhere. water at that point. Yeah. Who were going nowhere. Who were going nowhere. B, your whole thing about your team this year was health. 
you were always injured, like all the time. And Mike Williams especially is no stranger to that. He should not be playing extended time in a game like that, period. And yet that was his alibi for doing that decision. I was I can't believe he doubled down on that. That's amazing that he would even think that was okay. Did you hear about the black shoes thing? The black the shoes? No. I so did not. They they wore black shoes. You you want to know why? Cuz he cuz Staley wanted to honor uh Jordan's like second three-peat or some okay. shit. Okay. And I'm so the hypocrisy with his training camp stuff, because I remember that, too. And I thought that was like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, at the time, that makes sense. And then you kind of go against what you just said. And you're trying to find excuses like, who the fuck do you think you are? Like, dude, you haven't done anything. And I feel like last year I you've gotten off this, by the way. But last year you were one of these people. Like this guy, this guy was automatically anointed as some fucking genius. Like, what has he done? And he thinks he, I think he thinks he really has got this. My dude, you don't got this. You, you're lucky to have your job right now. I, I found that press conference just baffling. Well, like, it, I, I, I'm yeah. just like, how, I, if I was a reporter, I'd be like, who the fuck do you think you are? Well, okay. The, well, the reason, okay, well, I must, I have to pipe up here. The reason I, I, I liked him a lot was because of his aggressiveness. I liked the way he ran the offense, and I liked that he had a vision. Now, I was waiting for it to kind of come to fruition. Sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it, it didn't. It did and it didn't last year. This year, I feel like he's not even that at all, which is really baffling to me. I think he's regressed a lot of ways. He plays more like he plays more like Lynn in that way, and that's what really frustrates me. But look, any coach is going to talk like they know what they're talking about. Like that's just what's going to happen. The problem is when you're a first-time head coach, like it's really hard to assimilate this. You know who I have more faith in? And I wrote this in my notes as well. You know who I'd had more faith in, honestly, now, and even when he was hired? Dan Campbell. You know why? Dan Campbell was an interim head coach in Miami. He had experience. He had a coaching internship after he played. He went and was an assistant coach in, you know, in New Orleans. Like, he had experience doing the same role. You can question whether or not you live with this philosophy going for fourth downs, you know, his emotional, you know, attachments to everything, all that. But at least he had experience of like running the show, you know, and Staley hadn't. He has been in the league for like six years, you know, from Division three. That's that's a huge jump. And has it been meteoric? Yes, obviously. He's very I think he's really intelligent. And as far as like making stuff happen, he's like Mike McDaniels in that he he's very he's understanding of a lot of things. But connecting all those pieces is very different when you're running a team. And I just that requires a certain skill set that he doesn't have and that the Spanos family specifically does not hire for and has not hired for in a decade. That's really another issue, too, which I'll get into in a second. But that's also a big part of the issue. Well, let's go there. So talk about the Spanos, quote unquote, alignment, because I, I think you and the real, the good insiders, I think you guys knew that. At the end of the day, he was not going to get fired. He he just wasn't. And, you no. know, our guy Popper was on Dan Patrick. It was really you know, pretty cool for us. But, he, I mean, he, he didn't bat an eye. I mean, he knew Staley was going to keep the job. Yeah. I mean, it was it was clear as day. The Spanos family, look, I, I heard someone the other day ask, saying, like, oh, well, owners don't want to be called cheap. Well, guess what? Apparently, Spanos <laughs> might be okay with it because he's been called cheap his entire life. I'm yeah. sorry. They are. That's all. This franchise is all they have to their name. Okay. If they lose it, they have nothing. Like, 
they all the their alignment strategy, quote unquote, is just hiring young people so that they don't have any authority because they don't like authority figures. They don't like paying overpaying people and they don't like having authority figures. They're living on Stan Kroenke's couch. OK, they're living on his couch in another stadium. They don't have their own stadium because they wanted the, the San Diego residents to buy it. And it wasn't going to happen. And they don't like San Diego and San Diego doesn't like them. I mean, this family drives me absolutely batty. And it's 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 bad for football. I don't care what you say. It's bad for football. It's bad for the product. And they have no idea what they're doing. It drives me absolutely crazy. I hope D, I hope his sister, Dean's sister, sues him for everything, every last penny that he has, because this is absolutely insane that they continue to go with this practice. And I personally, I know I'm getting a little bit too in my my feelings here with this, but I personally feel like an idiot for continuing to even have any faith in this team because they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And it's the same results because you know why? Because they have the same philosophy. It's the same philosophy every time with how they run this team and what they do. So part of me, yes, is upset at Staley, but I'm also upset at, at how he got there and what the philosophy that permeates and allowing him to do those things that permeates throughout the entire organization. That is my biggest problem here. And last thing before, if there's anything else you want to say after this, but I, I do think the Spanos family and their ownership, it's its underrated that they are one of the worst ownership groups in professional sports in America. They, they are a terrible group, especially when they left San Diego. I mean, we, you and I were there, right, when they were still in San Diego, when they left. We both got to vote on it. I'm not a Charger fan. You are. We both voted against, you know, spending taxpayer money on a new stadium. In fact, I, if I remember serves right, it was like over 60, 70% of San Diegans voted against it. Yeah. You know, I, you know, there, I think it's, I think it's very underrated how bad of an ownership group they are. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and I don't understand. I mean, well, I mean, if Snyder's still in the league, I mean, anything's possible, but why in the world they're still allowed to kind of continue this, this thing. I mean, I don't see how they're really making the league money. I mean, they don't have any fans in that market. I guess it's it's te- television revenue, but that's just by de facto of being in the LA market, you know. And guess what? You know what was funny? I looked at some playoff stats. There was a greater share of San Diegans watching that game than there were LA people. Like, oh my now, god, that's incredible. Yeah, there was a bigger market share. I want to see if I can find the number. I think it was like seventeen point eight market share rate of the Jacksonville game. Like, that's insane. They're not even there anymore. And now maybe some of them were watching it out of sadistic fashion and, and getting a kick out of them losing. I know a lot of people who are very <laughs> giddy about that result, but it can't be. Th- I mean, that many people, I don't think that many people are watching it out of sadistic, no. sadistic tendencies as, as much as people will tell me that it's not everyone feels that venomous towards them, but it's, I get why like it's it, the relocation thing should have never happened. The Rams, I understand to an effect. They used to be there. St. Louis doesn't like Kroenke. I get that. And it's again, it's their stadium. It's Kroenke right. Stadium. Right. It's not the Charger Stadium. So. Right. Anything else uh, on the on the press conference before we move on? I, I mean, I could talk about the Bosa incident. You know, picking up Staley, picking up the helmet, and handing it to him. And in the press conference, he just said, "Oh, you know, I saw he was struggling, and I know he was. He seemed like he was having a hard time." <laughs> yeah, it, it, we all saw it, Staley. We all saw it and yeah. nothing changed for it. Like it, it, it just felt like, it just felt like he didn't have any control of the situation. Like I know Bosa was very emotional, but you got to tell him like the first unsportsmanlike penalty, conduct penalty, I, I would have gone over to him like, Hey man, we can't do this. Like if you do this again, you get ejected, we get hurt. 
not only on the field, but also you, we don't have you for the rest of the game. You have to calm down. And I, that wasn't, that wasn't delivered. That message was not sent to Bosa. I, I think this coaching idea of, I think placating too much to players or being a player's coach in this new era, I, I think will be a fun podcast in the future. Let's have some fun, Andrew, before we get into the awards and, and move away from this yeah. steely ass whooping yeah. and charger spanking you've just given. Yeah, uh, back back me away from the cliff. Yeah, let's let's go to Farve Watch, sponsored by Expedia. Not really. Andrew, where were they where are they going next? Let's start with Aaron Rodgers. Where's he going? Um, back to his neighborhood, Mr. Rogers neighborhood. I don't know. He, I think he's going to stay in green Bay and he's just going to hold this over their heads unless they have the bold strategy of trading away, which I don't think they personally have the guts for. So I think he's going to go back and get his money. I'm in the camp. I'm in the camp of just letting the Jordan love thing happen. I know he's young, but you got to find out. You got to find out what you have, man. We're on year four of this. This is ridiculous. Should get off the pot? And you know who, who, who I think should go for him? Of all the teams in the NFL who should go for Rodgers, Tennessee. Tennessee should look in to trading for him and just try to get a one and like try to get just one Super Bowl out of it. They they are just like a decent quarterback away, I think. But yeah. That I think that would be a fun one. But okay, he's I, I agree with you. I think he's most likely going back. Yeah. I put Sean McVay on the list here. We found out he's gonna go back. So why don't we phrase it like this? Should he go back or should he just do TV for a while? I mean, I think he'd go to TV for a year and kind of chill out. I think he should. I I mean, unless he has a grandmaster plan to get this whole thing back together. But this Rams team, the cupboard is bare. They need to they have a lot of work to do. Oh, they still gotta pay taxes. Yeah, they still and they're gonna pay be, taxes. And I mean, look, next year, okay, you know the 49ers are gonna be the top team. I think Seattle's gonna be the second team. You're kind of you're kind of fighting with the Cardinals to be bottom feeders next year. Just you know, keep that in mind. It's it's a tough it's a tough thing to sell, but I I think he should take a year away. I don't want him to quit coaching altogether. I like him a lot. I want him to stay around, but I think he needs, I for his own sake and I think for the Rams' sake, they need to press the reset button pretty hard here. And look, if he wants to be part of that process, great. But I think he needs to step away for a second. I agree. I agree. All right. Our boy, Cliff Kingsbury, he bought a one-way ticket to Thailand, and no one has heard or seen from good old Cliff since the end of the season. What ha- What do you think happens to Cliff? This is one of the best stories. Like, I feel like it's going to be like a 30 for 30 short one day or something. Cl- you know, Cliff's ticket to Thailand. We need a slideshow of, like, his girlfriend in his house in Arizona just juxtaposition <laughs> those things back to back, man. I, I am so... I'm almost enamored by by the gall he has to do that. Also, I read somewhere uh, there was a tweet somewhere that someone said, like, can you imagine there's some reporter in some room somewhere saying, I need to go cover Cliff. Can you can you authorize me to go on this trip with him? (laughs) You know, it's happening somewhere. Someone's saying, hey, let me just go talk to him. Like, you know, just get a little trip to Thailand, you know, stay in a hotel. Hanging out with some elephants. you, You know what's missing the reporting on Cliff Kingsbury going to Thailand? There's a lot of COVID restrictions still to go to to go to Thailand. Like there's a like you got to get shots. Like you got to mm-hmm. do a lot of stuff. So he's been planning this for a while, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> this motherfucker, it wasn't one, two, three Cancun. It was one, two, three Bangkok. Like yeah. he's he's had this on the books for a while. Expedia had that reservation in, in fucking November. He yeah. man. So it, you know, oh. if a reporter wants to go get that, it, it's gonna take a little bit of work. 
Uh, well, <laughs> and he well, might no, be back by then. I know it's personal information, but if we could find out when he booked that trip, I want to know the itinerary, like when when the receipt was made. I got to know which game. After I'm like, which game was this? Was it the Mexico game? It was, was definitely it, Mexico. It had to be the Mexico game. Definitely Mexico. I, I That's my guess, because that's when they just got absolutely eviscerated by the point. Oh, yeah. I think he knew he was done then, probably. He, yeah. He's probably known for a while. But yeah, yeah. McVeigh, yeah, or Kingsbury, tough beat. So added a couple names here. Uh you know, as, as, as the week went on, Derek Carr, where's he going? I think we've talked about a few options. I would like him to go to the jets. I think that would be a good fit for him. I don't think he ends up, maybe he ends up, uh, who knows? Maybe he switches places with Brady and he goes over to Tampa, but I, I, I think he's going to end up probably in New York. That's my biggest guess as having a, like a, a veteran quarterback that they can say, Hey, we just need one more guy and our team is set. I feel like that could be the, the play for them. Maybe Tennessee, I think could be another one, but I, if Rogers ends up there, then obviously that's a no go. I, I, I really see New York as the possible option for him. So let me tell you something. The jets is where most people say they think he should go. And I think of maybe the most likely scenario he should go. I'm telling you, as a guy who's watched Derek Carr's entire career, he should not go to the Jets, and the Jets should not want him. And I'll tell you for one reason, he will not be able to handle the media. He will not be able to handle the scrutiny. He can't handle the scrutiny on the field, okay? He's not going to be able to handle that. That's going to be way too much. I, I know you hate this guy that I'm about to say. I know you hate him, but he's the perfect jo- guy for that job. Your boy Jimmy GQ is perfect for the Jets. He he does. I think he's going to handle that kind of scrutiny well. I don't think he's going to say something stupid. He's not going to get in his feelings at a press conference. I think personality wise, he would work better. And I think they're about the same player personally. But uh, I think Tennessee would be a better fit for Carr because I think it's less scrutiny. And I think the coaching there can cover up, you know, some of his flaws. But I agree with you. I think he's going to end up with the Jets. I mean, I don't hate on it because I have more opportunities for him to get in there, and throw a couple, couple hail ma- hail marys, and I can just go Jimmer. Can you can you imagine though? Okay, either Garoppolo goes there, or Derek Carr has to face uh, the Bills and uh, and Bill Belichick twice a year. God, it's, it's gonna oh be Bill, oh God, it's gonna be terrible. Wait for um, white flag. Last guy, and you know these other ones have been kind of jokey, folky, you know, kind of fun. This last guy, this is a little bit more serious. Tom Brady, where does he end up? I'm 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 dead set on him on the Raiders. Like I'm I'm like, yeah, at like me too. plus three hundred. Him giving away to Raiders. Like he's he's so ready to get there. And I oh, think yeah. that all those reports from Dana White, you know, I think I think those are legit. I think he I agree. he really wanted to go there. And I think he's gonna try and drag Gronk out of retirement. I was just gonna say that. I think he's gonna try to drag Gronk's ass out of retirement. I agree with you. Yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> Gronk's just gonna be like, okay. And then yeah. go go to go to Las uh, Vegas. I, I agree, and, and I think you know I, I hear people saying like, well, their line is kind of bad. They don't have this. They don't have that. Don't worry, those other guys will show up because he's going to be there. Yeah, and he's no. going to be comfortable because Josh is there. They got Jacobs. They got Renfro. They got Adams. They got all the pieces. The things he missed this season, and they need like another running back, but like. They, they got a lot of what he likes so he can control the field. They got yeah. all of it. 
So and, and if they keep Waller in the matchup with uh, with Gronk, I know Gronk is not what he used to be, but Gronk, I bet you could still block. He could probably still get a couple catches when they need it. You know, that that suits him a lot. Yeah, I do. So. I agree. All right, let's go to the awards, Andrew. Joe Harris Award. We had Daniel Jones on here, but I, I had to change it up, and I love that we got to do this pod a little bit later in the week. Dexter Lawrence, New York Giants defensive tackle. Andrew, this guy could just be – this guy could be not just the best nose tackle in the playoffs. He could be one of the most effective nose tackles in all of football. This guy should cost $12 million a year. We can get him for three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this guy, I, I think – Man, he he just generated pressure by himself all day against Minnesota. They could not – they had no answer for this guy. And uh, I think it's a sneaky part of why the Giants were able to do what they were able to do. I mean, Kirk was just constantly under pressure, and I don't think Kirk played bad in particular, but he couldn't, he couldn't get the ball to Jefferson. Cook was basically nullified, and a lot of that had to do with uh, with Lawrence. Yeah. No, he finally kind of fulfilling his role as the 17th overall pick from Clemson. He's been outstanding recently, and I really like him a lot. He's been awesome in the system, and I think he's really starting to show himself like he's a pain in the ass to deal with when he's healthy. And he's been really, really good this season. I'm I'm excited to see him going forward. And he caught – I mean, like I said, all those offensive line injuries did not help the Vikings, but Lawrence did his job. He He made life miserable for Kirk. So Mike Lennon award, we had, we had a, some competition, but this guy, I mean, we knew he was here, but it was just funny to see him in a playoff game. T Y Hilton Cowboys receiver actually had a, a conversion on third down. That was, you know, pretty big for them at the time. Uh, it's just funny to see him here and he got a playoff win. Who would have thunk? Well, I mean, he almost ruined the Eagles chances on a number one seed. So everyone <laughs> will remember that one, but yeah, yeah that, that, that was the first time uh, where I was like, Oh, that's right. He's on this team, but it is pretty funny seeing him. I wonder if he's going to have a catch this weekend. Yeah, that would be a fun prop bet. Let's see if we can uh, we can get on that. Uh, speaking of the NFC East, bold strategy cotton award, Andrew. You mentioned it earlier, but they're they're getting it at least for this week. The New York Football Giants and their incredible game plan, especially in the first half with their offense, everything worked. Andrew, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, amazing job by Dable and the staff. Just masterful. So good. Uh, everything that they worked with, everything using Dime, Danny Dimes as, the, as kind of like almost a lead back in a way out of the, out of the formation. I mean, he had 17 rushing attempts as well. Uh, just so well done in the, in the red zone, their efficiency going right down the field after the, giant, the Vikings scored and just kind of shutting up the crowd. Never really let the crowd get into it. That's kind of a big deal. Like they just really not let the crowd have any, you know, not turning the ball over. None of that. They they did their job. And Dayball, if I didn't believe he went, if I hadn't already chosen him for coach of the year, I mean, it's so obvious now. Like, he's just been incredible this entire year. Uh, and Wink Martindale also, well done, blitzing, limiting Justin Jefferson, being able to keep him from being that guy. I just, this whole, this whole staff deserves their flowers. And, you know, Give them a chance against the Eagles. We'll talk about that later. But there's, there's, I have to believe they have a shot. Yes, they do. I would, I, I really hope the staff stays together just for another season because yeah. it's just so fun to see the competence. You know, you, you talk about Martindale kept Jefferson the 47 yards 
on nine targets, seven catches, Andrew. 47 yeah. yards. And and they took Cook away, and they said, go ahead and beat us with Hawkinson. I dare you. And they couldn't do it. You know? And, and look, they ran the single wing for one half. Okay? And the Vikings, they couldn't do anything about it until the second half. You know? And... and Give the Giants your credit. You know, after Minnesota adjusted, they were still able to put up a touchdown in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter just to keep pace. Yeah. So it, it was an impressive, comprehensive win. Uh, all right. Well, let's start going negative again, Andrew. Cowboy Joe West, this has got to be – it had to be one of the shittiest officiated weekends in, in quite a while. I mean, oh it, there God. was a lot – man – Talk, talk about just like the juggernauts. I mean, there was a lot of guys trying to get on the list, but we had to give it to Sean Smith and his crew in the Jags Chargers game. That was one of the worst officiated games of the entire season. I, I'm trying to not go to, you know, like reactionary or, or, or kind of like overreact or like kind of inflate it. But it was awful. Like the Jags could not get a call to save their life at home, Andrew. At home, shit they've been calling all year long. They could not get a call. And then in the second half when the Jags are catching up, the Chargers can get a call to save yeah. their life. It was awful. It was so bad. Yeah. I. Okay. So I'm going to sh- show my bias here. I actually was okay with some of the um, – the, the not calls in the first <laughs> half because I was like, cool, all these interceptions are happening. I like that they were letting them play. I, and I also don't agree with that one that they thought was a pass interference. Look, say Jones or whoever it was like, or no, it was uh, Marvin Jones. He grabbed the guy. Like, that's not cool. That wasn't a pass interference. He grabbed him. That's my personal opinion. But my biggest issue with this game was Sean Smith. My God, this guy was trying to talk chuck hands with joey bosa I, this guy's trying to join ufc 283 because he he wanted to he, he got in bosa's face after one of the things that bosa said and basically was like almost like coaxing him to say more stuff so that he threw a flag for unsportsmanlike conduct he wanted he wanted to get in the octagon with this guy like dude you don't want any of this smoke i don't want it you i don't want to know what the fuck did bosa say because i don't oh, care well, what he said that referee should not be behaving that way They'll you know, be in the secret. Those will be on the secret tapes. Oh yeah, I, I look the players. I know whatever Bosa said, he probably shouldn't have said it. Okay, but you know players are gonna say shit. These guys are getting physical with other three hundred pound men, right? They're bleeding, they're sweating, they're cursing. You know, they're getting all up in other guys' grill. Like they're gonna say stupid shit in the moment. Okay, it's football. You're the fucking referee. What are you doing? What are you doing on national television? You're trying to get in a fight with Joey Bosa here. I, I just thought it was an embarrassment for the league. It was embarrassing. Yeah, okay? it was I, pretty I, bad. I, I know you're biased in the first half, and that's fine. I'm saying both halves were fucking terrible. The Chargers yeah. got jobbed, and Bosa was held. They didn't call false starts. It was fucking crazy, Andrew. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. it was nuts. The, it was whole, the whole game was a debacle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I Look, another day we'll talk about it, but – I don't even I wanted to call it a Shakey's game. I don't even want to call it that. It's disrespectful to Shakey's, okay? Disrespectful. <laughs> I don't, it was I don't not think Shakey's. It was, a, it was just bad. It was just bad. It, it was it, yeah. Bad, bizarre, everything. They're in between. But uh, yeah. More more bad. Anthony Lynn Express, Andrew, Mike McDaniel, they're on they're on a fourth and one. Okay. They're driving. They have a they have a chance to win this ball game here. Okay. They can't get a play in on fourth and one. They get a delay a game penalty. What the fuck happened? 
apparently he said it was a first down. Mike McDaniels was relayed information. He said so in the press conference afterwards, but he seemed really apprehensive about yeah. kind of admitting where it came from. He was very vague about where exactly that information was relayed to him. But look, they were having clock management issues the entire game. They, they could were. not get a snap off to save their lives. And it was infuriating to watch because like you need to have contingency plans for this stuff. I don't care if you think it's, you know, first down or not, like you got to get a play call ready, man. Like the experience showed itself. Yeah, it the did. The experience showed itself. I, I think, again, this is another thing we're going to have to table. I, I don't like how things are being run in Miami. It kind of just seems like he's running the offense and whoever's the defensive coordinator is running the defense, and he has nothing to do with it. Same thing with the special teams. I, I don't think that's the ticket. I just don't, but I, I'm going to leave it there. It, it was just they had a chance to win the ball game. Buffalo let them in, and they, could, they couldn't take advantage of it, and I think it's just, you know, it's Anthony Lynn stuff. Um, Jeff Fisher football guy award, Andrew got to give it to your guy, Staley. He melted down. It was a listless second half. They could only muster three points. I don't want to hear about Dicker. Uh, you know, he, he at least gave them three points. I know he missed one. You should score some touchdowns in the second half. You should you, you put up 27. You should score some touchdowns. It was just, it was a listless second half. I think Chernobyl would be a really generous the last allegory for this. Yeah, it really was. Um, like this is, this is just sad. And I look, this is going to cause months and months of Sean Payton memes, but he's not getting hired by this team. Staley staying. It's not happening. They would never hire a guy like Staley or uh, like Payton. And it's not going to happen, but look, he's got a long off season to think about this. I have a bad feeling it's just going to continue the way it is. And we're going to be back here at the same time next year, asking ourselves the same questions. Sometimes you got to shit, get off that pot a little sooner than you'd like. Mm. Put it that way. All right. This is the most fun one. Andrew toughest beat of the week. Who would have thought this guy would be on here? Brett Maher Cowboys kicker. My guy missed four PATs. Andrew four, four of them. And, uh, uh, You, you know, okay, he misses the first one. I, I'll give you the second one. After that, why are you letting this guy in? I mean, look, they won the game. I'm not going to give him too much of a hard time. But you let him have four shots at it. After the second one, okay, guy, take a seat. Take a seat right over there. Sit with Chris Hansen. It's not your night tonight. He could not. I mean, even the even the Bucks fans cheered for him when he finally got one, dude. That's <laughs> bad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 tough. And like this is also what I would say is the duality of man. I mean, the guy made two <laughs> two sixty yard field goals in the same game against the Vikings earlier this year. And then he he pulls off this masterpiece. I mean, I was in a bar watching this and like every time he went out, everyone's like everyone wasn't really paying attention to the game, which was kind of funny. But every time he came out, everyone's like, oh, it's going to happen again. And like and like you just all of a sudden the focus just like turned to the televisions. And then suddenly that was going on. And by the time he finally made one, everyone started like, you know, facetiously being like, yeah, you know, and everyone's cheering in the bar. It was cr- absolutely wild. Um, by the way, you know what the toughest, toughest beat of the week is that over under, do you know what it was, uh, for the Cowboys bucks game? Yeah. If memory serves right, it was pretty high, right? It was like relatively 48 points. No, you know what it was? 
That's at least most books. 50? 45 and a half. Do you know how many wow. total points were scored? Yeah, I do. It was, uh, let's see, 31 plus, let's see, what was it? 14, so 45? Mm-hmm. Man, that's tough. It's one tough. PAT. Make one of those. I know. One you of get those. over. Oh, and man. And instead, tough. for the first time in NFL history, since the stats were kept, this happened. This has never happened, ever, in the entire history of the NFL. <laughs> Thanks, Unbelievable. Brett. I can't believe it. I can't believe we're about, and and we say all this and we're about to tell you all of the betting lines for the next week. So, you know, calling the kettle black. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, well, I, we're going to talk about Brett again in a minute, but uh, let's get into it, Andrew. NFL divisional playoff lines. We're here, baby. Uh, I got four games for you, Andrew. They're all by betnow.eu. These lines, I updated them again today. Uh, right before we got started to make sure we had the most current lines. We're going to start with the same showdown, Andrew. Sunday, Bengals at Bills. This is a juggernaut match here. Bills are favored by five, Andrew, over under 48 points. Uh, I want to let you know on Monday it was four points over under 50, so we had a little bit of a change. What do you got? That's interesting. Uh, I'm sure that's in regards to the Bengals injury situation, as we alluded to earlier. Look, I can't count out Joe Burrow, man. This guy hangs around. Like he's 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 just got different moxie for this team. I don't think they played particularly well against the Ravens, and yet they were still able to do their job. I think in a lot of other situations that might have gone south. And they were able it wasn't the same bungles, you know? Like this no. was not the same bungles. This was they not, not it, the bungles it, anymore. It wasn't Marvin it was not a Marvin Lewis performance. This was, and that's, I think that says a lot about where they've gone in their, in their short time with Mr. Burrow at the helm. Look, I'm concerned about him, his health in this game. They're lucky that Von Miller's not in this game because he would absolutely eat them alive if he was still playing. But he, thankfully for them, he's hurt. So I, I still think they're going to have trouble. Burrow's going to get sacked. That's just going to happen. But it's going to be like that Tennessee game last year where even though he's getting pounded, they're going to find a way to stay in this game. I would rather have this. I mean, this line should be at like three or three and a half, in my opinion, because I think the Bengals absolutely can cover this as a matter of whether they can win this game. I mean, it's contingent on can they get those timely plays from, you know, Chase from Higgins? Can they get those big catches kind of like how the Vikings got from Justin Jefferson when they won that game earlier in the year? Like, can they get those things at the right moments? The Bills? I mean, they're going to do all kinds of wacky stuff. Like they're probably going to have times where they look really good and other times where they don't in this game. It's uh, really a Jekyll and Hyde thing. I, I've probably got the Bengals covering. I'm still going to take the Bills. They're still my Super Bowl cover. I don't feel amazing about it, but I think they're going to find a way to win this game. It's going to be real tight, though, in Buffalo. And I am going to say the over because, I mean, these are two great quarterbacks. I think there's going to be some points. Yeah. I have to admit I'm a concern about the Bengals line. Kappa is still on a scooter, and Williams is uh, – he's not on crutches anymore, but he's walking gingerly as of today. Neither practiced, Andrew. I don't fucking care. Bengals straight up in the over. Look, the window is open with Joe Burrow at quarterback. Okay, he was in the Super Bowl last year. I expect him to be in the Super Bowl again this year and maybe winning it. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my guns. This Bengals team, I, I just I like I like the vibes, okay? If Joe Burrow wants me to be the water boy, I'll be the water boy. I'll follow that guy. Since he 
has been uh, since he won his national championship at LSU. This guy contradicts every rule we, we think is supposed to be a rule about football, about quarterbacks. He contradicts everything. So I'm going to just blindly put my faith in Joe Burrow, and I like him straight up in the over, like you said. Yeah. Well, like I said on the pod before, it's hard to bet against him. Yeah. It really is. It's yeah. hard to bet against Joe, and that's, that's a testament to him and what he's done with this organization. It really is. Yeah. It, look, I'll, I'll lose money on him if I have to. I, I like this guy. Uh, switching gears, though, Andrew, this is this is a trap game. Saturday oh, yeah. night, <laughs> Giants at Eagles. Eagles are favored by seven and a half, Andrew. It have been since the line dropped over under 48 points. What do you like here? I mean, I've been throwing so many bouquets in the way of Dable. I, I can't say I'm going to stop doing that. Look, yes. Are they the lesser talented team in this matchup? No doubt. Like they, they don't have the arsenal that the Eagles do. They don't have the offensive weaponry. They don't have some of the depth that they do on defense. I don't care. This team is going to come out with a dynamite game plan. I know they got railroaded in, in New York earlier this year. I know they didn't go well. And then when they went to the Eagles, I mean, that was a weird game because no one was really playing their starters and it was more like a preseason game kind of, but Look, man, I, I like these Giants a lot. I really do. I, I think they're going to find a way to kind of hang around this game. And as great as the Eagles story is, it's still, you know, Nick Sirianni's still young. He's still kind of figuring it out. Jalen Hurts, let's hope his sprained shoulder is healed enough that he can do some of the things that he needs to. He admitted himself he's not 100%. And I think it's going to be tough. I still like the Eagles here to win because they have enough of a, an arsenal and I think they have all the stuff they need to at home to be able to win this game. But these Giants are going to be, you know, MFers. They're going to keep in this game and they're going to be really, really sound in their discipline. They're probably not going to draw a lot of penalties unless, well, depends which crew we get, which I've thrown information <laughs> of that to you as well. But Mr. If Mr. Smith decides, you know, enter the ring again, we'll see. But I, I think that the Giants absolutely cover here, and I'm probably going to the under. I mean, this is an NFC East, East battle. I have to expect that it's going to be gross. Uh, that's I think, and I think that's the game plan from the Giants. They want to make this really gross. They want to limit Hers's carrying capacity, and they're not going to let AJ Brown get over the top. That's really the biggest thing I want to say is that they are not going to let AJ Brown do that to them. No. Uh, I, I'm with you. I think Giants cover, and I, I think they're going to – I think the Eagles are going to have a tough time pulling this out. I agree that they will win. This is going to look bad. They're, they're going to have a really hard time with this one, and definitely under the 48 points. I expect Dexter Lawrence to to be up in Jalen Hurts' face all day. I I worry about his rushing. I don't think we're going to get a lot of it. Uh, I, I think they're barely going to scrape by. I think this is going to be a tough game, and I worry about them being able to generate enough pass rush on uh, on Jones. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a tough game for them. I don't think that they lose. Um, yeah, it, I feel bad for the Eagles. This is tough. I, I, you know, Hurts gets hurt at the wrong time. They kind of peaked at the wrong time. It's yeah, it's it's tough because they've had a really nice season. So. Uh, Eagles, Eagles will come out with the win, but not the cover. All right, Andrew, let's go to the salty uh, Splatoon here. No one is invited to the Winnie Hut Jr. That's for losers. Uh, Sunday night, Cowboys at 49ers. 49ers are favored by three and a half over under 46. 
The 46 has held Andrew since the line dropped, but it has shrinked just half a point from four to three and a half. What do you got? This is the salty spittoon. How tough are you? Well, How I think the tough ta- are you? <laughs> I think the Cowboys uh, did eat their bowl of nails for breakfast without any milk. So I think they're, t- they're ready for this game, but uh, look, I, it's, it's a classic matchup. Cowboys 49ers etched in history. This is really great that we get to see this again. I think these are two very quality teams. I mean, these are these are 12 plus win teams in the divisional round. That's awesome. Like that's a great that's a great matchup. That's wonderful. These are two like teams. I mean, the Cowboys could have won the division in a lot of other cases. So, I think in this case, I'm really curious to see what the defensive game plan for the Cowboys is going to be. Where are they going to put Micah Parsons? How are they going to shift him around? They had to kind of move him around to confuse Brady. They won't have to do that as much against Purdy. They might just kind of put him back at linebacker maybe in the role that they had him before. But, I mean, I think the Cowboys are going to get some turnovers in this game. They're going to have some chances. They're going to make some short fields. But the Cowboys offense, I mean, the Cowboys offense versus this 49ers defense is really the matchup I am really excited about because uh, this 49ers defense has been just absolutely crushing at home. Now, they did let up some passes last week. DK Metcalf quietly had a very good game against them last week. He got over the top and he kind of, you know, confuse some of those, those CBs. My guy, Diomedor Lenore, I know he's been picked on all year. He did get a pick of Geno Smith last week, but I know people have been picking on him. I think the Cowboys are going to go after him again this game. I really do. And I think that's unfortunate for me as a duck alum, but you know, I think that's, what's going to happen. I mean, there's, there's so much I have to think about. I think the coaching matchup here is great. Like there's a lot of great quality coaches like head coaching candidates in this game too. This is probably this is probably going to be one of the smartest games of the weekend too. I think just in terms of where everything's going to move around. I I got to say I think the Cowboys have, have a chance to cover. I am so close to picking them, but the I have so much confidence in the 49ers that I I think they pull it out, but man, this is going to be I think this is going to be a classic game, like one of those really great classic divisional games and it might be a really tough loss for the Cowboys going home. And I, I'm going to take the under here. I think both defenses are going to play really well on Sunday and I think they're going to find ways to do it, but it's going to be, I mean, this is going to be a battle of wits. Like this could be a 23, 20 game or a 21, 20 game. Like it's like, it's going to be really close on Sunday. Yeah. I was so close to just deleting uh, salty Splatoon and putting it under sane showdown. Cause it, it feels like Goku versus Vegeta here. Okay. D'Amico Ryans versus Kellen Moore. Who wins that matchup? Who's got the right calls? Who's going to cover who? Uh, Kyle Shanahan versus Dan Quinn. They, you know, Dan Quinn was the head coach of the Falcons. Yeah. Shanahan was the offensive coordinator of the Falcons. They went to a Super Bowl together. This is going to be the fucking showdown right here. And and here's my hot take. Brock Purdy is going to look like shit in this game. I agree. And I tell you why. Because... I think he's playing a lot like Baker Mayfield did when he had success. It's a lot of play action. And look, give I give Purdy all the credit in the world. He's got the right poise. He's got the right attitude. He's not a dick or a dumbass like, uh, like Baker was. He's running it to perfection. But Quinn is going to take some of that shit away. It's going to get hard for him. And he's going to get hit. He has not been hit a lot in these games on this win streak. He's going to get hit, and we have yet to see what happens when they get when he's going to get physicaled with. He's going to get beat up a little bit, 
I think that'll be what happens. What's Shanahan going to do? And look, Shanahan might be the best play caller on offense in all of football right now. So if there's somebody that's going to have an answer, it'll be this guy. But I'm telling you, and, and I picked the 49ers to go to the Super Bowl, as you recall. This will be their toughest matchup on the road to the Super Bowl until they get there. This is yeah. going to be the toughest one. This Cowboys team gives them all sorts of trouble. I, they've kind of out physical people on this run that they've been on this winning streak even even with the Seahawks I know they I know that Purdy had some struggles and whatnot they they just they just not physical them in the second half right they just kind of buoyed them that's not going to happen with this Cowboys team I, I if they're going to go that route you're, you're gambling this is going to be tough and and I'm with you I really want to take the Cowboys. I'm almost rooting for it, even though I picked the 49ers. <laughs> but I, my, right now, my ball sack is just full of boba. It's not full of stones. So I'll stick <laughs> I'll stick with the 49ers winning, winning. But I agree with you. With that line falling to three and a half, give me the Cowboys for sure. I'll take the over here of 46 because I'm pretty sure both teams are going to score over 23 points apiece. Uh, I think this, the first half, I bet you it'll it'll be... It'll be a little low scoring. Like, I don't think either team will get over 20 in the first half. But in the second half, that's when the adjustments are going to come. They're going to – you're going to see all the plays. I, I I think if you have to pick a game – man, it's tough, actually. That Bills – Bills-Bangles, that's a great one. I'm almost looking forward to this one more now. Maybe it's too much recency bias, bias with the Cowboys, but – yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for these coaching matchups the most, though. I, I mean, who? It, it, it's not checkers. It's chess. It's going to be great. Yeah. I'm, I mean, and we get both of those games on Sunday. Like, the Saturday slate's cool. The Sunday slate is dynamite. Uh, thank God it's Sunday night for Cowboys and 49ers. I'm going to Oklahoma Broken Bow for my anniversary, so I'll probably miss most of Saturday. I'll, I'll probably be checking in. You best believe I'll be home. Cowboys 49ers on Sunday night. Yeah. So oh, yeah. uh checkouts at eleven, so we'll be home. Uh last one here, you know, gifts gifts by Jeter or gift baskets by Jeter. Uh Saturday, Jags at Chiefs, Chiefs favored by eight and a half, over under fifty two and a half. Andrew on Monday, I, I put the Jags cover. You know what? I changed my mind. Chiefs cover in the over. I think a lot of people have been talking about how, you know, they kind of play with their food. They don't really cover, you know, quietly. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to win the MVP this year. I think quietly he's going to win it. And, and don't be surprised if these guys win the Super Bowl again. And it's just a boring, they win the Super Bowl. It's, you know, it's, it's predictable. It's not fun. Look, this is still the chiefs and you named him once the overlord. This guy is still the overlord. Okay. He doesn't need Tyreek Hill. He's just fine. I, I, I think they're just going to remind everybody, hey, we've won a Super Bowl. We've been in the two of the last three Super Bowls. You know, I, I think this Chiefs team is ready to kickstart my heart, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I mean, he is still Thanos. He really is. But I have to say, maybe I'm just burned from last week, but I, I, I can't help but think about that Jaguars game against the Chiefs earlier in the year. And there was I think it was nine and a half and the Jags didn't end up covering, but they should have in that game. They absolutely should have. I I'm gonna go opposite here, honestly. I have this as a twenty-seven to twenty game, and specifically because I think the Jaguars do cover. I think they give the, the Chiefs some some, you know, jitters. I, I could see the G, Chiefs being up double digits in this game even, but then kind of letting the Jags back in it and not covering. And I take the under here because I think that 
there's going to be a little bit of weirdness on offense for the Chiefs. I Again, I, I just feel – I don't know why. Maybe I just feel different maybe just because of what happened last week. But I, I just think this Jaguars team is going to be a little more frisky this time around and be more on their stuff this time around. But it is – I mean – they don't have a shot to win, in my opinion, because I think this Chiefs team is just too good. It's Mahomes at home. I mean, he's he's just dynamite at home, especially in the divisional round. So it's tough, but I I, I give these Jags a shot, and and it is it is because maybe just based on their resiliency and what game plan that maybe Peterson will have cooked up for this. Yeah, look, I I don't doubt the cut of their jib. They're going to compete. But I think this is a statement game for the Chiefs, and that's what I would put money on if I'm putting money on this game, is that I think the Chiefs want to make a statement here, and I think this will be a good learning experience from the Jags. They won a playoff game. They learned, you know, they made mistakes. They overcame them. I think they're going to learn what championship football looks like now, and they're going to see good coaching. They're going to see, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going to see what, what, the, what the bar is for quarterback yeah. play. So I, I think they're going to learn what the bar is, but I think this Chiefs team is, is going to, they're going to make a statement. They're going to make an example of the, of the Jags. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I was just writing in the notes. Uh, I wrote down, can I do a shout out? <laughs> yes, you can, Andrew. Uh, go ahead and give your, your shout out. Okay. So this was uh, actually just concocted by myself last night. So I was I wasn't watching it live, but I saw the highlights afterwards. Kansas State basketball beating um, beating Kansas, obviously, you know, perennially great college basketball program, always top five, always fantastic talent, yada, yada, yada. And beating them in state was great. Kansas State was also ranked. Uh, I believe they were number 12, if I'm not mistaken, or 13. And the thing about it is, so after the game, I mean, it was pandemonium, obviously. They won at home. You know, friends rushed the court. They beat their in-state rival. It's a really big win. And then afterwards, Jerome Tang, their their head coach, gets up on a table. I sent this video to Seb beforehand. I'm not sure if you had a chance to watch it at all. But Jerome Tang gets up on the table and basically pronounces a few things. He he is like, and I mean, he is like unhinged. He is like having some sort of spirit go through him. First thing he says is just he goes basically right off the cuff. He goes, this isn't about beating them. This is about us winning. So he's already getting into it. He starts a KSU chant. And then he was talking about the passion and the love for his players and how they could get to some place. And then the last like thing he said before he jumped off the – by the way, he's doing this on the scores table. Like he's just on top of the scores table. The last thing he says before he gets off, he goes – I let you have your one court storming for the year. From now on, we expect to win. And then he jumps down. What a baller ass speech by this guy. Look, I know this is not something, you know, you can argue about professionalism and all that. Like I, I am so, so enamored by this man's gusto after the, having this huge win over the Kansas program. And just this like mentality of like, look, you know, in college, all these kids want to rush the court, have fun. I get it. I've done it too. It's fun when you beat a top team, but like for him to just basically come out of the woodwork and, and pronounce like, no, like we need to have a establish a winning culture here. We should expect to do this. This is something that we need to be able to expect to do. That is an amazing statement. And I wish more teams kind of had that, that ability to, you know, permeate that. Now, not all coaches can maybe get that 
message through in such a public manner. Obviously, it's very extreme in a way that he did it. But it, it, I was just so like taken aback by it in a good way. And I just I, I was like in awe of it. I could not believe that I saw that. It was really fun. And it just it just goes to show you that it's it's all about mentality. It really is, you know, about getting a winning culture and getting yourself to believe that, no, you expect to be at this point, even even if there's other factors like, you know, an insane pro rival that's always kicking your ass. Like it, it was just so cool to see that. Print the shirts. That's all I have to say. Print the shirts. Yeah, you know, absolutely. By, you know, pro, be in the program. <laughs> that's right. And uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to this program, the Wheelhouse Podcast. Andrew, it's uh, it's always been fun. It's going to be really fun catching up on these games. Uh, I think the next, the conference championship, it's going to be all showdowns. So uh, I can't wait for it. Absolutely. It's going to be really fun, man. I hope you can enjoy the Sunday games at least. Oh, I will. You best believe I will. All righty, buddy. Thank you as always. Catch you, man. <laughs>